Hey everybody, welcome to the Climbing Sycamores podcast, uh, where we look at today's topics to get a better view of Christianity. I'm Annie Beagie, and I'm joined by my friends Ben Sadler and Matt Harbach. Well, hey guys, <laughs> here we are. How's it going? Very good. I'm excited about this podcast. Annie and I went to a really great conference. Matt, I don't know. What were you doing? Uh, taking up the rear. Obviously, I was not trying hard enough. Poor Christian over here. Missed the conference. Yeah. That would not interested in learning how to lead better. Well, you were worried that it was going to suck, and it did not. It was, it was great. It was, that really was good. a big was part amazing. of it, yes. <laughs> I've been to some bad conferences, and this was not a bad conference. It was no. the Dare to Lead conference in Green Bay. The first time they did that, it was great, and we had some great speakers. And I've heard some of this information before, but I thought it was really good. The opening keynote just laid out the statistics for where the Christian church is, the state of the, the union, the state of uh, of the Christian church in North America and in, in the West. And I think it kind of blew a lot of our minds just to really grapple with it. And uh, so I thought we could talk about that and what can we do about it. So maybe just quickly, what is the state of the church right now? Uh, some quick, quick statistics, and then I want you guys to respond. So back in the 1970s, um, people who claimed no religious affiliation were, I mean, less than 5%. And yeah, you got that handout in front of you. Uh, and people who claimed to be a mainline church that would be Baptist, Lutheran, any of the main denominations that you know of, that was over 30%. And then 1975, I don't know, uh, there was a kind of a little uptick. And then ever since about 1975, the mainline church, we'd be a part of that, Lutherans are in kind of a free fall. Uh, to the point today, around maybe 10% of the population claims to be part of a mainline church. Evangelicals, um, that would be like non-denominational uh, churches, uh, they they had a, a kind of a spike increase in the mid-1990s. Many people believe that it was just people leaving the mainline churches and going to evangelical churches, but they're also kind of in a free fall. They're about 20% of the population now. And then... Um, and. People with no religious affiliation right now make up about 25% of the population. So a huge increase in people with no religious affiliation, a huge decrease in mainline. And many people are predicting that denominations like ours won't be around in the next 30, 40 years. Uh, so I don't know. What, what did you think about that presentation? What what what? How do you want to respond, Annie? What do you I think? don't know. I, I mean, I think it was pretty mind-blowing, but really not inconsistent with my personal experience in talking with people. Um, what do you it, mean? Well, just like when I'm ta just in casual conversation with people, it just seems like um, people really don't practice religion, even if it's, you know, an Eastern religion, whatever, whatever. They're not practicing any religion. Um, it just feels consistent with, I guess, my people that I've spoken to over the years. Um, and I, I don't know, do you have any insight as to why, you know, we're seeing this decline and why this uptick in no religious affiliation? Well, it was interesting that he brought up a couple big social th things that are political things that happened that after World War II, everyone kind of galvanized around this idea that, you know, we, we are the country that's going to fight against evil and then we need to know what is good and so there's kind of an uptick in, in Christianity and then especially with the Cold War 
communists was seen as like an atheist worldview and we need to combine God and country, whatever that meant. And it seemed to be an increase in church attendance, at least as people kind of had an, almost a nationalistic religion. Um, I don't know exactly uh, what all the factors are. Uh, another presentation I heard that, that made the point of hypocrisy being a big issue and in the sense of people talk a lot, but they're not actually living this Christian faith out, that there's not actually a significant difference in the way people live from what they believe. Uh, so I think those are some factors. I don't know, Matt, I know you're kind of hearing this for some kind of the first time, but do you have any thoughts on why people are walking away from the Christian church? in such large numbers, and claiming no religious affiliation? I guess maybe they don't find, they don't find anything of value there. So, I mean, you, you go in and, and you think maybe you're hearing the same things over and over again, and I guess like what you said, they don't see people are actually living, doing anything differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I was yesterday listening to... Uh, a video on Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. and I, I wait. Who is that? He's a uh, he's Did he's super this? popular right now. Yeah, he's a he's a clinical psychologist, but he talks. He has a Canadian a lot philosopher, about the Bible. also. Yeah, yep. Basically, a philosopher. Yeah. Have we referenced him in a podcast before? Okay, that's all right. Carry on. <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think we've re- referenced him specifically on this podcast. Um, he he would not call himself Christian. Um, he's got the weirdest worldview though, where he has to sort of acknowledge the design of humans. And and so his take is, he says that he acts as if God exists. So he's started praying more. He's, he's practicing things like the, what the Bible teaches because he looks around and he says, there has to be a God. But what he said was, and this is paraphrasing because I don't have it written down in front of me. Um, he said, you know, who would who would dare to claim to believe in God if he examined the way he lived? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's convicting for all of us because that's what we all claim. Yeah. You know, I guess what I appreciate most about the conference is I've been to lots of conferences over the past decade, and so many of them have kind of been techniques, and uh, and it, th- there was kind of a, a movement back in the 1970s and 80s, and, and we saw that, they talked about this in the kind of, in the presentations, there was a seeker movement where people like Rick Warren, who who leads Saddleback Church, the fastest growing church in the, in the country, and, and Bill Hybels, uh, who's retired and fall into lots of scandal, but he led the largest congregation in Chicago, Willow Creek. And they were well known for taking marketing principles from Peter Drucker, basically, and uh, applying them to the church, like the customer is always right, and and the service-oriented church, and making it about the service experience and the emotional experience that you had, and making sure you don't say anything too offensive in the church. So you're very seeker sensitive. You're sensitive to the person who comes into your door. And that's just not working anymore. But lots of the conferences I would I would go to kind of had that in the background. Like we just need to figure out the right technique. We need to figure out the right service. We need to figure out the right welcoming method. And if we could just figure out the right method, 
that's going to answer our problems. But the problem is too deep right now. There's not a method to bump someone into church. They're not church shopping, so you can't just give them a good church experience. And what I really appreciate about this conference was it was really more about who you are. Are you a Christian? Are you honest about your hypocrisy? None of us are going to be perfect, but are you honest about how far you've fallen? Are you you trying to figure out how to take your faith and make it practical in in your everyday life and and being a good neighbor, basically? And that's really our last hope. So I thought that was what made the conference so good that there's no more techniques. It's not about techniques to, to kind of make people come in. Yeah, that's good. Um, just the authentic, uh, the authentic Christian lifestyle, I guess. Um, just a touch base quick back, uh, you know, on, on maybe one other reason why we're seeing a growing number of people who don't identify with any religion. I think, especially Christianity, because of, and I think we've maybe talked about it before, but the ties that Christianity and the baggage that the the term Christianity has, when we look at things like maybe a particular political party Mm -hmm. or particular president or a particular event that maybe happened on January 6th, um, you know, of last year. And I think even for myself, I, for whatever reason, maybe it's the media, maybe it's just what I'm hearing, uh, through talking with people, but it seems like there's a lot of things being done in the name of Christianity or by people who are Christian, you know, Christian that maybe just soils the um, perception of Christianity. And so maybe that's another reason we're kind of seeing these, uh, you know, along with maybe not finding value in it, but maybe that's another reason we're seeing a decline in people who identify as Christians. Is that, so you were saying before that you've seen this play out. Is that the reason why most of the, the pe- your friends or people you interact with are just not interested is because there's too much political baggage? I think that's some of it. You know, I think sometimes Christians are painted as, you know, the gun toting, um, you know, Trump supporting, you know, and, and, and that's fine. You know, I'm not making a value judgment on presidential whatevers, but I think that sometimes there's just this stigma associated with it. And then and then people just don't want anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then they say, well, it's kind of that logic. Well, if you are a Christian, then you must believe this way about mm-hmm. politics or you know social mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. and things so i do think there's been for whatever reason maybe media maybe personal experience there's been some connection to the to um politics and mm-hmm. heavier topics and maybe that does kind of go back to what was presented that for whatever reason the the christian institutional idea kind of connected to political movements, which is interesting when you read the book of Revelation. Uh, The book of Revelation has these two beasts coming out of the sea, and one of them is kind of uh, pictured as the government, and one of them is pictured as the institution of the, uh, or uh, government institutions. And and one of the things that it talks about in the last days that that the church kind of tries to partner with the beast of the government to try to get political power, try to get power. And, and that's happened throughout history. When Christianity became a legal religion in 313 AD, it actually got worse. And 
and there was a lot of pressure from Germans, German churches during the time of Hitler to just, um, Hitler said you could only be a, a Christian church if you subscribe to positive Christianity, which means you didn't say anything negative about the Nazis, basically. And so many Christian churches thought, well, this is how we're going to stay alive and stay successful. We have to partner with Hitler. They didn't, maybe they didn't think about it. They didn't want to think about what that actually meant. Um, they found a way to, uh, to make that right in their head. And I wonder if that's also happening today that maybe there is this idea that we have to partner with the government or some government movement or political movement to still be relevant or have power in society. And it's never gone well. So... Matt, you're in deep in thought in there, or you have are, a he- are you asleep? Or, or you have a headache? I'm not sure. Which one? Wake up! Can't it be both? <laughs> I think I was going back to what Annie said about the name, like what is a Christian, and people have a notion about that, and people are just so happy to paste labels on everyone. Like we do that to everyone, and I don't know how you do this, but it, it feels like you have to sort of take you have to take back that label or you have to go with a different label or just don't, I mean, it's almost like don't call yourself Christian, mm-hmm. come up with a different way to say it. That'll make people say, Oh, what is that? Rather than, Ooh, I kind of know what that is, you know? Right. And we know somebody, um, who, uh, would, would say I'm a follower of Jesus mm-hmm. instead of saying I'm a Christian because of the, the baggage associated with it. But yeah, how do you escape a label, right? You escape a label through living contrary to what maybe that label is. And that would be the the authentic Christian lifestyle that we learned about kind of at the conference. And I think that is a, one way that we can help reduce or, or I don't think we'll ever eliminate labels, but that we can maybe surprise somebody who has this preconceived notion of what a Christian is, and then you do something or you act a certain way, mm-hmm. um, and that it just rocks their socks off because they're like, "This is not what I expected when I hear Christian." You're a Christian? Oh, you did that? Or you? Or oh, you were kind to me? You listened to me? You you took interest in what I had to say? You were willing to exchange ideas with me um, civilly? And that is that can be really surprising to people and maybe uh, break some of those stigmas. That's really good. Talk a little bit more about that listening or being interested in people. How important do you think that is? Uh, it's for me personally, it's what I live for. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I just I love talking to people. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, I want to know where, you know. What, what do people believe? I don't like, I don't like small talk. Yeah. Um, I want to know what you believe. What do you think about social issues and, mm-hmm. um, you know, politics? Like, let's get into it. I, I meet you. Hey, let's, <laughs> let's get nuts. What, yeah. What's your life? Tell me about yourself. Mm-hmm. What do you do for work? Where, you know, what was your upbringing? Like mm-hmm. what, you know, what do you, what's your religion? If you have one, mm-hmm. oh, you were hurt by church. Okay. Well, tell me about that. What happened? And it's just, it's fascinating. And, you know, sometimes I don't even say anything other mm-hmm. than to ask them questions and let them talk about it. Yeah. And I lo- I love that. I love it. There's a there's a great quote that goes along with what you said and I'll again I don't know what word for word but it's something like if you're a Christian you understand the Christian message then you're you should be the last person to be offended by anything. Yes. You know? Yes. Because everyone is just in some in some 
um, relation, you know, more distant or nearer to God's will. And that's it. There's no, people aren't your enemies. They have sin and there's evil, but nothing is offensive to you because you just recognize all of it is sin. You have it yourself Mm -hmm. and they just need, they just need, they just need a little Jesus, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And that, that is something that I think that we've completely failed at. That's how you slip into that label, that sort of um, stereotypical um, uh, American evangelical Christian mold, mm-hmm. you know, of your 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 gun-toting Trump supporters. They're they're they are also outraged by all this stuff, and they're so offended by all this stuff. And it's like, do you have the bigger picture, or don't you? You know, or are you just engaging in this like st- stupid little, you know, sidebars? Yeah. And I, I, and I think politics, it's on both mm-hmm. sides, right? I mean, both sides claiming to be Christian, both sides using politics to try to justify their morality. Also, I mean, I think it happens on the left and on the right. I think one of the challenges is where are these places that we can have these conversations or do you just need to be open to, I just, I feel like we're so divided, so isolated that these conversations don't naturally happen as easily anymore. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's fair to say that you, do you believe that Jesus would have supported any particular political party? Um, and I, I would argue no. Yeah, correct. Um, so seems like he made them fight each other, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I would ar- 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 I would argue no. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it is important to be involved in politics and to make informed decisions about mm-hmm. you know who you think because I do think that there are good parts on both sides, and mm-hmm. I think that um, you know I, I try to work under the assumption that the people in political power are trying to do what's best for the country Mm -hmm. and for the people of the country. And so I do think it's important for us as citizens and caretakers of of the world to get involved in these things. But when that starts turning into hate for the other, um, I just, I like, I don't understand it. And, and as a follower of Jesus, I would not, I try not to have those types of feelings or animosity towards the opposing political party, which for me, I'm not even sure what that is because I don't even really identify either way, mm-hmm. you know, or in, in any of the major political parties. So I was just reading this morning uh, when Jesus was confronted and they were trying to pigeonhole him into politics. And they said, uh, do you pay taxes to Caesar or not? And what they're trying to do is they're trying to get him to pick a side. You know, if he pays taxes to Caesar, then he'd be part of the Rome group, and then, you know, all the Jews could could go after him. And if he said he doesn't, then the Romans could come after him because he doesn't pay taxes. And he had this great way of responding. He said, give me a denarius whose image is on it. Well, Caesar's image. And he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God. And what he was saying in there is that whose image is on you? you're made in the image of God. So give your life to God and and understand the appropriate role of the government. Um, but he would not let himself be pigeonholed in one or the other. And I think that's really important, just how often Jesus uh, looks at the, the blessings of government, but never um, 
totally aligns with either side. So I, th- I think that's very biblical. There was some statistics here that I, I didn't mention yet that I thought were really interesting also that, man, in in the 1980s, 71% of people would consider themselves like a church shopper or disengaged, and only 20% were like totally not interested at all. Now in 2020, those numbers have basically flipped, where you have only 18% are people who are uh, kind of shopping around, maybe disengaged, but still open to things, and 64% are totally not even interested. They're, it's not even on their radar. They're not even thinking about it at all. So you're not going to get their attention with a program or with a, a or with anything like that. I don't know. I'd be interested in res- how you guys, how, how do you even engage people who are not, it's not even on their radar. Is it back to the listening, asking questions yes. or what? Okay. Talk more about that. I think so. Find out what, and this happens organically a lot, you know, just talking to people and people love to talk about themselves. They do. It's just, I mean, I do. I like talking about myself, Yeah. you know, um, everybody does. And so I think, you know, if you can kind of get down to the nitty gritty with people, find out why, you know, maybe, maybe they were hurt by church Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, whether perceived or actually, I mean, there's a lot of corruption in churches and, and you can understand why somebody might be turned off by that and might be hurt and not want to go back. So just finding out why maybe you just have no interest or you don't care. You don't Mm -hmm. think it's important. You don't Mm -hmm. find value in it. Um, maybe you have more of a a religious viewpoint of, well, just, you know, do good to others and Mm -hmm. karma will come back. You know, maybe you have a religious, Mm -hmm. uh, affiliation already. Um, so yeah, I don't know. What do you think, Matt? How do you bridge that gap where a lot of church was, a lot of church and continues to be focused on this idea of the shopper? You know, you're going to kind of like businesses look at, all right, you're going to shop at Target or Walmart or one of these stores. So we want to give you the best shopper experience um, because we know that you want to go to one of these stores. Now people aren't even interested in going to the store. Or maybe I've heard it this way, like, you know, in the past it was like you were either Southwest or American Airlines and you wanted to give them the best um, flight experience. Now these people aren't even interested in flying. So how do you get somebody who's in the car all the time interested even in flying when it's not even on their radar? What do you think? I I I have one anecdote that comes to mind. Um, and, and it's from when I was probably like, I don't know, like 10 years old or something. Mm -hmm. And we had like an Easter something at our church. Maybe it was like an egg hunt. I don't know. It was like some community thing. And so we had all these like little cards and it was like, oh, you could go and give them to people to invite them. And I remember we went to like a neighbor's house and like literally across the street, like from where we lived and we knock on the door and this lady comes and she's like, Oh, hi, what is it? And she had, she had kids like our age too. So, um, it, it was, it was, it seemed like something that they, they could, they could come to. And so we like give her this little like handout and we invite her. She says, Oh, thank you. And then I just remember like, we kind of turned to go and like out of the the corner of my eye, like I saw her just throw it in the garbage, Mm -hmm. you know, before we had even left. And I, I don't think she was making a show of it, but, but I saw it. And so I was thinking, this is someone that lives right across the street from us. And 
Now you got to see these people all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one like, threw away the invite. <laughs> and it was like, that. That's a, so, so that's a marketing technique mm-hmm. is to canvas. Yeah. Send cute kids or, or in our case, not so cute kids yeah. out with Aww. little cards to like, you know. I'm sure you were a cute kid. Yeah. When I was like four, <laughs> the, it's like the, that's a way to get the word out, but the, the word is out. Mm-hmm. You know, the the word is out. It's been out. It's not working. And then and then you take that, I guess, like you said, like same thing today is like we have we have this church and it's super, super um, welcoming and mm-hmm. friendly. It's easy to use. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's it's very it it caters to someone who has never been in church before and we swarm we swarm people when they walk in hi welcome you know get breakfast can yeah. i you know fill out this card we'd love to meet up with you we can take your kids and watch them get into church greet pastor i mean it's kind of scary it's kind of <laughs> scary how you just like latch on to people okay well they're not coming in the building what if they're not coming in the, what if they're not coming to your website you know and I, I just think the word is out. The word has been out. No one is out there like, oh, gee, uh, if only there were this religion that, you know, thing that could help me through all my problems. They're probably thinking, oh, gosh, right? I'm afraid to talk to this person with my problems because I know they're just going to prescribe a dose of Jesus mm-hmm. and look where that's gotten me because I still have all these problems, yeah. you know? So you've pointed out a lot of the problems. What do you think the solution is? No idea. Okay. I go ahead. I, I I do think what you were saying, Annie, about being interested in people and just truly loving people, being patient. I also think me as a pastor, I'm thinking, all right, what can I do? And I think a big goal I have is is training more people. This is a big dream. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I'm almost scared to say it out loud. I'm gonna say it. We're gonna hold you accountable. <laughs> all right. I'd love to have on a small level, almost like a Bible college here at church, where people who wanted to be a minister, whatever that means, a deacon, whatever, a, 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 we could take them through maybe a three-year program where you would read a series of books, you would have some bit of training, where they could be the pastor of their family, where they could be the pastor of their business, they could be the, the prayer leader in, in, their, in their neighborhood, um, and whatever that would mean, because I think we need to find more ways to send people to where people are and equip them. And it wouldn't be all academic. It would be on because I, but I just think giving some people some training, because I'm not going to reach everybody. They're not coming anymore. So how can we send more people? And we are, we've talked about maybe the challenges. If you want to be a full-time pastor, that the challenge would be going through an eight-year program. So could we put together a three-year program where you would learn basic Bible knowledge. You would learn how to lead a Bible study. Uh, you would learn how to, um, you know, do a shut-in, vis- visit somebody, pray with them, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe administer some of the sacraments, baptize somebody, some of these kinds of things. Uh, I-, I don't know. That, that's a dream, an idea. It's it's on the cutting floor right now, so I don't I don't really know what that's going to take, but that that's one idea I, I kind of just kept on thinking, like, we need to find a way to send more people. I think part of the problem is, is that um, when you have eight years of school required, and a lot of it is looking through Hebrew and Greek, which I think is a great idea, 
you're going to get people who you're going to get the nerds, right? You're going to get the nerds who are very bright, who study, who can probably write great sermons, but that's, you, you need other people who don't care so much about Hebrew and Greek, but who just want to go out and talk and, and be with people. And that's what we do in world missions. You know, we try to get them as much as we can so that they can start serving. There's a lot of on the job training. And then maybe you can teach some level of, Hey, these are really important Greek or Hebrew words or some significant parts of scripture that you, it's good to know something about the original language, but how can we send more people is my idea. It seems like we're putting a hurdle. We're almost saying like, Oh, we're not ready for you to share Jesus yet. We want to make sure that we've processed you properly so that you're sharing what we want you to share. And it's like, I feel like Jesus said, go and make disciples. Yeah, there's some tension there. I mean, Paul did say, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. Like, sometimes somebody gets really excited and they want to want to be a minister or pastor or religious leader. And there's th- that can also backfire because it's kind of like sometimes people go into counseling because they need the counseling, right? And 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 that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that they want to learn and it's for it's themselves. Like 80% of all college students. Yeah, or I want to go into I would become a pastor because I need I'm having a real spiritual crisis. And so I and and so I think that's good it, whether it's counseling or pastor minister or whatever like but before you do that, it's good to kind of all right. I want to lead from a strength now, I want to lead after I've kind of overcome some of these things or trans. trans. So I, I do think there's some of that kind of walking with somebody. And I think a three-year program would kind of help them work through if that's kind of where they're at right now, if they're going through a spiritual crisis to help that process first, instead of like, Hey, here's a six week program and now you're off and you yeah. go, you go lead a group of people. I think that could be a little bit in the middle. Uh, these are again, all just ideas. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a, that's a good point because we don't, we don't have anything like that. It's like, if you want to be a pastor, you go to school for eight years, you could be a teacher, but most of your time is going to be spent teaching, you know, and there's a thing called a staff minister. Let's be honest. No one knows what that is. It could no be one, a lot of things. It's a verse. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like, that's four years of school, but you have to ship off to New Orleans mm-hmm. to do it in our case. And it does. It just. That doesn't. That's not conducive to actually training and sending people. That's really bottlenecking. You know, there is a program. I think I don't know if they still have it called the CAP program. That that was trying to pastors would take people through. So I, I think there's stuff out there. So I I, I don't want to reinvent, reinvent the wheel. I think it's good to have people at all those levels, fully trained pastors, and I would even say it's good to have you know teachers and staff ministers. Um, but I'm just thinking if it's true. If this is really true that this our church body isn't going to be around in 30, 40 years, if that's what the statistics are saying, what else do, are we doing to train people? Uh, because Jesus said his church is never, he's, it's going to stand until he returns. So how can we be more versatile, I guess? That's just a thought I have. I don't know. What do you think about all that, Annie? Well, I yes, I think that, I mean, I feel like I've heard you and Bill both preach about, like, we're all ministers, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and we're kind of all responsible for our sphere of influence. Mm -hmm. So whether that, whether it may be your homebody, your sphere of influence might be your family. Mm -hmm. Um, it might be your, you know, your friends, your friend group, big or small. Mm -hmm. Um, there's your, your employees like, and, and, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, 
go pound Jesus down their throat, you know, but, but I think our jobs are to live the authentic Christian lifestyle within our sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and let that break the labels Mm -hmm. that are associated with Christianity. Mm -hmm. I think Christianity is deeply misunderstood. Um, I wish people were able to know it and, and understand it the way that I do. And I, I certainly don't have it all figured out, but just what I understand of it makes so much sense. And I wish that people would give it an, an open mind. And Mm -hmm. so I think that we have to model this authentic lifestyle and really change what we, what we personally can control. And, and a class like you're mentioning, you know, or some type of, uh, equip being able to equip people to do that is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I, you know, anybody who knows me would be able to tell you that. Um, so I think that having that knowledge and background to be able to go out and, and mm-hmm. influence the people in your circle is good. Yeah. I think it just, I'm trying to, maybe this is not the idea, maybe it's another one, but just thinking, how do we, how do we maybe, instead of focusing so much on trying to help people have a good experience, and I think some of the things are really important, you know, I think you don't want to be an unwelcoming church, you don't want to be an unfriendly church, you don't want the worship music to stink, you want to pursue excellence, so these things are not bad, they're just not going to reach the people that doesn't, this is not on their radar, so how can we be also ascending church is what I'm thinking to not just a seeker sensitive church. And it's a fresh perspective. Let's be honest. Nowadays, it's a fresh perspective to not be a consumer, you know, like, yeah. so if this is new for people, yeah, they, you know, to ge- take a genuine interest in somebody, to love your neighbor, to act on that, this is kind of unheard of mm-hmm. and shocking to people. Mm-hmm. So that will get people's attention. That's good. It's, I think it's true. I have a question. Let's hear it. Oh boy. What, um, what do you tell people who hate meeting other people and who don't like influencing other people? Is He's this talking a- about himself. <laughs> <Yeah. It's okay. laughs> Asking for a friend. For a friend? <laughs> that friend's name is Matt. Um, you, you have friends, Matt, and you have a sphere of influence and you have family that you're close to and you've got, you've got good friends, you know, and I, I think that's your responsibility. You know, it doesn't have to be this grandiose statement. It just has to be within what you, what you have work with what you got. What do you talk more about that? So what do you, what do you concern about or what do you think the expectation is maybe? Well, I'm kind of asking for myself, but also for people who yeah. would be listening and say, well, gee, I don't get out much. I don't enjoy getting out much. Yeah. I don't like going into crowds and I don't yeah. like striking up conversation. Right. Maybe I, it's just you. I mean, literally, maybe it's only you yeah. that you have to, you know, maybe just work on, you know, living an authentic Jesus style life helping other people serving other people loving other people um i guess that's maybe contradictory what i just said just scratch that (laughs) no i think you're but i i do think there is um maybe this idea that extroversion is is what we're all shooting for uh there's a great book 
I think it's Susan Cain wrote the book called Quiet. And my wife is an introvert, and she she thought it was so helpful because this in this book it kind of traces that after Dale Carnegie's book uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, there was this idea back in the 1940s and 50s that your whole goal is to be somebody who's got a good handshake and remember somebody's name, strike up a conversation, remember things about them, be interesting, all that kind of thing. And that also has infected the church. Like to be a good evangelist means that you can have a good handshake and you can strike up a conversation and you can be warm and welcoming, all those kinds of things that you can kind of, he says in that book, you know, greet everyone like your golden retriever greets people, you know, happy to see everybody. And, and that's just too bad because that's not how everybody is wired. And actually introverts, I find like my wife is so much more thoughtful. She's so much better on one-on-one than I am. Uh, she really thinks about what somebody said and then it gets back to them like a day later. And uh, I think people, we need that kind of introverted person and we don't need only extroverts. Extroverts can come some, sometimes be shallow and, and not listen. Right. Uh, Speaking of myself. I feel personally no, attacked. No, that's right. No. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That's me. <laughs> I know. And so I, I guess also, I think going back to what Annie said, and we, we talked about this, the last presentation was really on this, was being interested in people. You don't need to have the answers. But just asking a lot of questions, I think sometimes people, for the first time, they, they've never challenged their own worldview. I remember um, leading a, a, a youth class and I really struggled with with one person who's she's going through a lot, but it was all the slogans of of anti Christian slogans and 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 one thing after another. And I felt I had to answer everything she was saying. And she was even she she was really good at talking about them, but I don't know if she was really internally thinking them. It was a way to keep me away from you know really engaging. But anytime I brought something out, she just brought out another slogan. And man, if we can just ask questions like, "Oh, why do you feel that way?" or "What?" you know, how'd you come to that conclusion? I think that's a much more loving way to listen to people. I mean, how many times did Jesus ask questions? If you just read through the gospel, he's asking more questions than, than, and and making statements. And if there's anybody who had all the answers, it was Jesus. So I guess that would be my advice is that we need to learn to be better listeners. And you might be a good example of that. You know, you're thoughtful, you think of something, you'll come back later on, like, oh, I was thinking of that after we talked about it. And then I think is actually a very powerful thing that the church needs. I don't know. What do you think now? Yeah, uh, sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just, I was trying to just push Annie on that. What you said about just go talk to people and what no, if you I do said, if you don't like to, you, to. Take care of your, what you have, you know, your people. Mm-hmm. And, and that, listen. And yeah, and it doesn't have to be, like I said, this grandiose you know, multitude of people, if it's not you, then that's okay. I guess that's why I want to be more of a sending person. I, I'd like to learn what that would mean to, because... What do you mean? To 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 train more people, to send more people, to have a greater influence on the people around them. Because we really can only have deep relationships with a handful of people. I mean, oh, Jesus had 12 disciples, but he, we really only know much about Peter, James, and John because that was his inner circle. So it's really Jesus, the Savior of the world, the God in human flesh, spent the great deal of time with three people. So I think we need to make more disciples and more ministers, more deacons, whatever you want to call them, 
more pastors, because to have a real deep relationship, to get into the real deep stuff of my questions and my doubts, I have to have a, a longer relationship, and I'm just not going to be able to do that for more than a handful of people. So that's that's why I think it's so important. I have another, some maybe some encouraging news. I, I study I thought I would also talk about real quickly um, that kind of gives the other side of what's going on. We talked about in the American church in the West, you know, things are just looking really bleak, uh, almost non-existent. But the church is actually growing bigger if you kind of factor in the Southern Hemisphere, including Africa and Asia. And this is what it says here. Worldwide, this is from um, the Church and Culture uh, blog, uh, James Emery White, and he wrote this on February 10th, 2022. You can look that up online. It says, Worldwide, the number who embrace the Christian faith continues to rise, albeit, albeit modestly 1%, but by the middle of 2022, almost 2.56 billion will self-identify as Christian. The number expected to top 3.33 billion by 2050. So drilling down on those numbers, the largest Christian group are those comprised of Catholics, the fastest growing is evangelicals and charismatics. And, um, and so, it, and it's mostly in the South, and it's the global South is exploding. He talks about how in in Africa and Asia the growth rate is is astronomical, um, and so he ends the article by saying, "When is Africa and Asia going to start sending missionaries here? We usually think about sending missionaries there, but when are they going to send them here?" I, I may have missed it, but what do they attribute the growth to mission work? I don't know. Martin Luther talked about the gospel being like a rain cloud and it kind of hovers over one area. And then if people reject it, it kind of hovers over a new area. I don't know all of the reasons why there is such explosive growth. It's not because they're, these countries are, are, are non-industrialized or third world. I don't, because some of these are, are areas that are the fastest growing economically. Um, there is heavy persecution in these areas. Uh, Africa is heavily persecuted, um, especially with some of the, the radical Muslims group, groups. And then in China, there's heavy persecution. I know those who've worked in China versus Hong Kong, you know, very similar governments and, and very similar cultures and things like that. But there is more persecution in mainland China, and the church is growing faster in place of persecution uh, than when they don't really have to really Pick a, pick a side in Hong Kong, the, the church kind of wavers. So to me, what it sounds like in a lot of these growing regions are probably they fall into the this category of unexposed people, right, would you say? So like when we have missionaries go there and tell them about Jesus, this is kind of first time they're hearing it. Would, do you think that's accurate? I think so, yeah, in, in many, many places, uh, and especially the clarity of the gospel. I mean, there's been a lot of syncretism where mixing pagan religion and pagan philosophies with kind of a pseudo Christianity for, for a long time. And I think when someone comes and actually opens up the Bible and says, no, this is what it actually is. You can't just mix all these religions together and they see the clarity of the gospel. I, I think that is one of the reasons. Um, but it's probably a number of factors. I think persecution really makes people figure out, do I believe this or not? And, and in areas where you have no persecution. It's kind of like, well, I'll take it or leave it. Nothing's really riding the riding on this. So, and that that's a good point. 
So it sounds like we need to create domestic missionaries. Persecution. No, no, no. no. <laughs> domestic missionaries. And that I think goes to, you know, kind of what you're saying about teaching people and giving mm-hmm. them education to go out and do We need domestic missionaries. Yeah. And celebrate that maybe things are going in. What, what we can control is yeah our spheres of influence. And you talked about that a lot, which I think is great. And then rejoice that God is doing amazing things in other parts of the world. Uh, I know a lot of people have done work in Asia. Man, you sit at a coffee shop and all of a sudden you, and you say a prayer and you get 10 people who are like, you're a believer in Jesus? Can I come to your house? Can you tell me the Bible? Like that's mission work in Asia. And then they come back here and they're, you know, they're trying to teach this a Bible class to some teens who are kind of, you know, checking their email on their phone and, you know, zoning out and they can't believe how, how different Pastor the response ben, teenagers is. Teenagers don't check email. Okay, just whatever. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> That's true. Just dated myself. I don't know. <laughs> fate, that, that, fate, Snapchat. They're, sna- they're, they're Snapchatting. Get with it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but I've heard that experience, right? And, and it's very jarring. So I, I don't know exactly what it is when the harvest is ripe in some areas where people are are just open to it. Um, there's missiologists who have talked about different movements and why some countries and places are more open to the gospel. I don't always understand that. Okay. Just happening, though. Here's a thought. Brace yourself. Um, I, I wonder if maybe, and I, I think Christ, Christianity for a very long time has been presented this way and 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 this is why it works so well with persecuted people is that you know jesus says i have overcome the world and so it's it's hope when all else is lost when like the government or when someone in authority or when just the majority dislikes you and sort of shuns you and you can see that very clear picture of hope in our country we have freedom of religion and it's sort of just like, yeah, you can have it, but we don't really care. Mm-hmm. How do you make, how do you make Jesus a savior for the problems we're facing today? Because we're not being heavily persecuted by the government, and so it's like we don't need, we don't feel, I should say, anyway, that we need a savior in the same way that, um, uh, um third century or second mm-hmm. first through third century Roman Christians felt they needed a savior. Right. It's not the same thing or how I guess today um, African or Chinese Christians who are being heavily persecuted and have lived in a, in a, a uh, lived under a government that suppresses religion enforces its own ideologies. And you just see, the damage that that causes again and again, you need that hope of something really powerful that can take out that really powerful opposing force. In our country, people have a ton of mental health problems, but it's like, you want me to believe in a fictional guy to make my mental health problems go away? <laughs> right. You know? Right, right. And so how do you, how, how is, how do you, how do you tell people that Jesus is here for everyone's problems how do you make Jesus someone who is, who is there to give you that that same peace, just in a different way? That was interesting. We both went to Rhoda Woolley's uh, 
presentation, and she's a, she's got a great podcast, Five to Thrive. That's I it. love her. Yeah, she's great. She's great, and she really kind of drilled down on the mental health issue because I I think that is the crisis in we have a we have a crisis of meaning in our culture mm-hmm. where there is no narrative, there is no story, uh, there is no God, and so why am I here? Who's the author? Where are we going? Um, but we, yeah, we've, we've told ourselves it is imaginary and what do we have to offer in its place? And so, uh, I think it does start with listening and then it's, and then it, it's living out of the, the Christian hope that our lives have an author, our lives have purpose, that we have a reason to be rejoice always, Paul says. Um, I do think many of the mental challenges that we have, mental problems, whatever they are, that then things that I have struggled with, um, there is Christian hope that can respond to many of them. Um, it's not, I, I understand clinic, I don't, not that I understand, but there is clinical depression, there is clinical anxiety, but I wonder how much could be changed if we, if we did have hope, have a sense of purpose, saw our life as had even meaning, um, were able to believe that we could rejoice always because God does have um, a plan in this and that he is blessing us and he is going to take care of us. All of these different things that that really lead to hope. And she kind of laid out those, I think it was eight factors that lead to happiness. And and she says these are all backed up by clinical science and... and, and um, and they're all found in scripture. So, I, but it takes a relationship, and I think that's what we've been talking about to actually get to that point where you can listen to people. And where do they have that kind of existential void? Why do they feel so helpless? Why do they feel so meaningless? But if we never listen and we just shove Jesus at them, I, I don't think they see the connection between what they're struggling with and how Jesus could have actually help them if we don't listen. Does that help? What do you think, Matt? Or what do you think, Annie? Yeah, I think that helps. <laughs> I, I, I think it is. I, I I think we do have more problems. I mean, our su- suicide rate is, is crazy. Uh, mental health is a huge issue. And it makes sense. If there is no reason, there is no purpose, if I don't have any meaning, if I'm not going anywhere, why put up with all the garbage? Why the boredom, the pain, the suffering? If there is no hope, uh, it makes total sense. Uh why people would why why we suffer and why I suffer why we all suffer, um, and so I do think we ha- we we have to find ways to listen to people and then point to a greater narrative. I do think maybe here here's where Christianity is different. There was a sense of guilt in twenty thirty years ago, and so the 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 presentation of the gospel was kind of like if you were I was taught this in seminary. You should go up to somebody and say, if you were to die tonight, and God would ask you why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? That's how you're supposed to open up the conversation. That's abrasive. Yeah, I know. And and that it's abrasive for lots of reasons. Um, but that was kind of the method. And it whatever quote unquote, you know, worked for a while, maybe in the sixties and seventies. It was part of a book that was called The Evangelism Explosion, written by I think James Kennedy, uh, a pastor in, in Florida. And it worked because there was this sense of, you know, the highest value maybe in the 60s and 70s was, and for many people, was uh, I want to be right. 
I want to be doing the right thing. I want to be doing the honorable thing. And now the thing is, does it work for me? Uh, is it make me happy? And so there isn't that kind of collective guilt that I'm not doing the right thing. And so to start out with a question like that, first of all, is there a heaven and hell? And if there is one, I mean, I haven't, I'm not really thinking about that. And so we have to change, I think, how we present the gospel. And and the gospel, I think, needs to be more of a narrative approach, which is, I think, very biblical. And it needs to factor in some of these emotional problems that we're, and challenges that we're going through. That's a presentation of the gospel connected to our emotions. And uh, the, the gospel has to be something that actually has hands and feet, where, where it's connected to acts of service and a, a different kind of lifestyle. It can't just be a quick sales pitch. It scare people and then give them the gospel. Agreed. You tapped out, Matt? Yeah, I, um, good. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> Stamp right. of approval. Well, thanks, guys. I, I think this was helpful. I'm excited to kind of start implementing some of the things and, and encourage people to give us some feedback on this and other topics that they'd like to talk about because uh, I, I think we're going to need to... This is going to be a big problem. we got to keep figuring out how we can help people. Bye. Right. Adios. If you'd like to get a hold of us here at the Climbing Sycamores podcast, feel free to email bsadler at victoryofthelamb.com. B-S-A-D-L-E-R at victoryofthelamb.com. If you like today's intro music, it's been brought to you by Andrew Lynch's song, My Name, Hello. Hello.